So this morning we are going to be looking at scripture from the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to start by reading verses 1 through 6 in chapter 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. And then we take up the story a little bit later in that same chapter as Jesus appears to his disciples and says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to him, to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Thanks, Cammie. Good to be able to worship with everybody on this Resurrection Sunday. Special welcome to those of you joining us online. As we just heard from this resurrection account, from the Gospel of Luke, I love these words. Jesus was not in the tomb. He had risen. And by his resurrection, he conquered sin and death so that we might be resurrected and made right before God. So in every conceivable way, what we celebrate today, it's what gives us all meaning and purpose to our lives. And while there are any number of ways we could kind of look at this story this morning, I want to take us back to something that Tom read for us on our Good Friday service, where I want to kind of look at, more specifically, the implications of what the resurrection meant for those two other guys that were crucified alongside Jesus that day. Because their account provides significant insight into what the resurrection's implications are for each and every one of us today. As Luke records earlier in the same account that Cammie just read for us, two others, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. So we don't know a whole lot about these two guys, but we have a couple of important insights we kind of pull out of this. First, it says that they were criminals. And in other translations, it actually describes them very specifically as thieves. And while we don't know the details of their crime, there must have been something pretty significant to warrant the penalty of being put to death by the excruciating method of crucifixion. Scripture also doesn't tell us their names. So we're gonna go ahead and call one of them proud, and we'll call the other one humble. Another thing we learned here is that Jesus was crucified between these two criminals. It says one on his right and one on his left. So Jesus, who had done nothing wrong, never even sinned, was crucified between two criminals. But here's the thing. 
He actually was guilty of something. Not anything he did, but what we did. You see, he bore our sin and shame on that cross. Now, if you think about that, that is remarkably profound. But there's a whole lot more here, so let's keep reading. Next, we find Jesus praying from the cross. These are his words. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And of course, Jesus is referring to those very people who just so happened to be crucifying him in that moment. What an astonishing expression of love, asking his Father to forgive them. And yet that's the very reason why Jesus, God's own Son, is even on that cross that day. He's doing what God sent him to do, to pay the price for our sin so that we might be forgiven and that we might be resurrected along with him. And then the passage goes on to record, and they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by, watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. So this is a crazy scene here, isn't it? Gambling over a dead man's soiled clothing, and people stood by watching as if somehow this was entertainment for them. Who really wants to see this? Intense misery, excruciating pain. And then the rulers, it says they scoffed at him. Scoffed, what a word. And the soldiers, what do they care? And yet they mocked him too. In fact, in the other gospel accounts, it said those two thieves also reviled him in the same way. It's quite a remarkable scene if you think about it. There was so much animosity toward Jesus that day. And then Luke goes on to encourage this intriguing and insightful dialogue between the three men on the cross. And that's exactly what we're going to look at this morning. Thief Proud pops off first. He says, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. And in these brief words, we learn a great deal about this proud thief's worldview, the framework from which he operates in life. As we learned last week, it seems to be in step with the characteristics of worldly power, the kind that Satan operates with, external, coercive, forceful, destructive. Hopefully you recall that Yancey quote, humans have learned much from that power and governments draw deeply from its reservoir. And if you missed that sermon, I encourage you to go back to our website, check it out, because it lays out these two powers that operate in our world. So here's Mr. Proud. And during the torment of crucifixion and his imminent demise, his life reduced to mere ashes, and yet he has the wherewithal to ridicule Jesus. He joins in with the crowd, perhaps thinking, if I align with these soldiers, maybe they'll let me down. After all, that's how worldly power operates, coercive, as it attempts to manipulate outcomes. And while we can't know what he was actually thinking, we do know that he too ridicules Jesus 
with this central question, are you not the Christ? Because at the end of the day, that's really the question for all of us, isn't it? Is Jesus the Christ or not? Because according to the Bible, the answer that we have to that question reveals how we'll ultimately spend eternity. It's what differentiates us. If you look at that graphic over there on the wall, it's what differentiates us from being on that wide, dark path that leads to eternal destruction, from those who are on that well-lighted, straight, that path that leads to the narrow gate. It's a straightforward question for all of us to consider this morning. Is Jesus the Christ or not? Well, it's clear that Mr. Proud certainly doubts that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. And because of his unbelief, he remains squarely on that wide, dark path up there. Just look at how he mocks Jesus by saying, save yourself, because surely, if you're the Christ, you ought to be able to do that. But beyond ridicule and doubt, these two words, save yourself, they also indicate that Mr. Proud has faith in self. It reinforces the fact that he relies on worldly power, a belief that we can actually save ourselves. If only we put our minds to it, if we're just forceful enough, if we give it our best, we can do it. And then, after the proud thief says, save yourself, he adds, and us. Because at the end of the day, Mr. Proud could care less about Jesus, could care less. He's focused on himself. After all, he's the thief. That's why he's up on that cross. And that's the nature of stealing. We take something for ourselves that belongs to someone else. And that's because we're focused on self. And while self-focus is easy to see with a sin of stealing, it's actually what lies at the root of every single sin. You see, the events of his own crucifixion had not changed Proud Thief one bit. He was still focused on self as he hung from a cross in the final moments of his life, still relying on worldly power all the way to the end. But then the other thief, the one we're calling humble, he chimes in with some wisdom. And remember, this gospel message, it told us that he too mocked Jesus. He's in the exact same pit as the other thief. He's in those ashes just like the other guy. But apparently, something has happened to Mr. Humble. He seems to have had a change of heart because he asks his proud friend, do you not fear God? A question of enormous theological importance. You recall as Solomon writes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's how our faith starts. So thief humble appears to be at the early stages of placing his belief in Jesus because he fears, he respects, he reveres, he's in awe of God. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's where the seeds of belief are first sown within us, in our mind, in our heart, in our soul. Again, as we learned last week, that's how godly power operates at the internal level. Next, Thief Humble takes this first step towards repentance by confessing and admitting his sin. He says, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds, 
In other words, we're wrong. We've sinned. We deserve this punishment. But in some sense, Thief Humble's not just talking to his friend, Mr. Proud. It's really a message for all of humanity because we all deserve this punishment for our sin. So clearly, Mr. Humble has a fear of the Lord and he confesses his sin and he does so without coercion. Up to this point, Jesus had not said one word to this guy because that's how godly power operates internally, non-coercively, gently, and constructively. It builds up, it strengthens, it encourages, and it's in complete contrast to worldly power. As we learned last week during Palm Sunday, and as we saw again at our Good Friday service. And then, Mr. Humble professes faith in Jesus. He says, but this man has done nothing wrong. He is innocent. He not only didn't steal anything like we did, but he's never even sinned at all. You see, Mr. Humble believes in him, that he is who he said he was, the Messiah, the Son of God, completely innocent. Now, do you remember that famous passage in John 3.16 where Jesus taught this promise, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And those, of course, are the very words of the man who just happens to be hanging from that middle cross. It's a truth. It's a promise. And we know that God, by his nature, cannot break a promise. He's the author of truth. When he says something, it always happens. That whoever places their faith in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. And notice, there are no conditions here. It just says, whoever. So yeah, this promise even applies to a thief, to whoever believes in Jesus, that he is who he said he was, the very Son of God. So it does not matter what is in our past. This promise Jesus made, it applies to you and me alike this morning. And then the humble thief calls Jesus by name. He doesn't say, hey man, or yo buddy. No, thief humble calls him by name. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now knowing and then calling a person by their name is where a relationship begins, doesn't it? In what could not have been more than just a few hours at most, this relationship was formed. This humble thief, he humbled himself before the Lord. It all started with a healthy fear of God, confessing his guilt and sin, a belief that Jesus is the Savior, placing his faith in him, and a relationship is formed, whereby Jesus might even remember him. And so the thief is then able to simply ask Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, when you sit atop your heavenly throne, victorious over sin and death, would you just remember me? In other words, King Jesus, save me because you are the Savior and Lord 
of the world. And I believe it now. I simply can't do any more in my current humble situation. He's over there on this cross, right next to him, his life reduced to mere ashes. And in this brief exchange, we see just how simple it is to place our faith in Jesus. No sophisticated words, no special magical prayers, just a humble, heartfelt request, Jesus, remember me. And then Jesus replies, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. The relationship established and confirmed. Can you even imagine what Mr. Humble must have felt in that moment? Don't we all just long to hear those words, you will be with me in paradise? And why would Jesus do that? This guy was a sinner, a thief, hurling insults at him just moments before. Well, again, it just shows how God's power operates. He always lives up to his promises, like the one he made in John 3.16, that whoever, thief, adulterer, liar, it doesn't matter what you've done. Whoever places their faith in Jesus will have eternal life. They will be with him in paradise. What an assurance we can all take with us today, knowing that God cannot break a promise. So the man on the middle cross, the Messiah, the Son of God, who will soon be resurrected, that's what we celebrate today, he promises to resurrect that humble thief too. Why? Well, it's in fulfillment of the promises Jesus made, like the one we looked at in John 3.16. And so you might think that the mouthy thief, Mr. Proud over there, that he might be like, hey, how about me too? But he didn't. Nothing but silence. Too proud to the very end to humble himself. Just feet away from the soon-to-be-resurrected king who could also resurrect him. But he just couldn't do it. He just couldn't humble himself. So when we step back and we take a look at our lives, which thief are we really most like? Do we ridicule and mock Jesus by our deeds, our words, and our thoughts? Doubting him as our savior? Not really sure whether his blood is quite enough to make us right before God? Is our faith still placed in self, in our good works, in our baptism, in our church attendance? Are we still focused on self, how we feel? We still just haven't gotten over ourselves yet. And that's a pretty serious question for all of us to consider this morning. Or do we possess a healthy fear of God? Are we in awe of him? Do we respect and revere him? Do we readily admit our sin and our shortcomings with a broken and contrite heart? Have we placed our faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, trusting in him and him alone for our salvation? Has it transformed our lives? Does our behavior match our belief? Are we even obedient to his teachings? Has our outlook on life, our future, and our view on eternity become radiant with hope? Are we in a relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus? Do we know him? Is he a friend? But more importantly, does he know us? 
Would he remember us? Because when we stand before Almighty God on that final day of judgment, the truth of Scripture declares every knee will bow before him. And when called to account, the proud, represented by that proud thief, they will be cast into the lake of fire for all eternity, missing out on the resurrection. That's what eternal destruction means. And what about the humble, represented by that humble thief? What well, can you picture him kneeling before Jesus on that day? Never been baptized, hasn't ever read a word from the Bible, can't articulate the doctrines of grace, He's never sang a praise song to Jesus, never attended Sunday school, not once. His record of good Christian living is completely blank. He's got nothing. While his record of bad living, his transgressions, so lengthy, so dark. I mean, he's not even a good thief. He got caught. A sin-filled life. The list just goes on and on. And yet, he'll be resurrected. He'll be granted entrance into paradise for one reason and one reason alone. Simply because that man on the middle cross said he could come. That's it. Not because of his good deeds, because it doesn't have a single one, but he didn't need one, neither do we. Not because of his bad deeds either, even though they were many, and every one of the we all have them too, but simply because the man on the middle cross, Jesus, the Son of God, said he could come. That's it. And that's the same for all of us. Not one good deed or even the worst of deeds matters. All that matters is that we've placed our faith in him been washed in his blood and on a relationship with him. That alone is what allows us to leave here today fully assured that he will one day resurrect us too. And that's because our God is sovereign. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present. He's good, and he is unable to break a promise. And he promised that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. So the question really is this morning, which thief are you most like? The proud one, still not over yourself, operating by the world's power, or the humble one, with a healthy fear of God, where you've confessed your sin, placed your faith in Jesus alone. You're engaged in a meaningful relationship with him, living your life fully dependent on God's resurrecting power, assured that you will be raised to life again, living in his presence for all eternity. That is what we celebrate on this Resurrection Sunday. Let's pray. Almighty, ever-present and all-knowing Father, we thank you that you sent your Son to die on the cross for our sins, each of us a criminal in our own right, mocking and reviling you with evil thoughts, words, and deeds. We ask that you might humble us this morning in reverent awe of your glory. Call us to confess our sin in the quiet of our hearts right here, right now.
Father, as we reaffirm our faith that your son is who he said he was, or perhaps we've even placed our faith in you for the first time this morning, may we lean not on our own understanding or good works, but simply on who Jesus is and the promise he made that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Deepen our relationship with you this very day. And remember us when we kneel before you on that great day of judgment so that we might hear the sweetest words of all time. Today, you will be with me in paradise. For Jesus' sake, amen. You see, those words we sang in that song before the sermon, they're absolutely vital to all that we do. It's what gives us meaning and purpose. It's why Cammie pointed it out, and it's why I'd like to read them for you again right now. By your spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. In your name I come alive to declare your victory. The resurrected king is resurrecting me.